Hi there, welcome to Grand Rounds with Cascade. I'm your host, Dr. Shaw. In this episode, we're going to talk about the immune system. What is the immune system? What can we do to improve it? I like to start with really helping you to understand what the immune system is, sort of in in some concept of depth, um, just because I think it's really important for you to understand the complicated nature of the immune system and how so many different parts of our um, not only biochemical health but our psychological health affect different parts of immunity. Knowledge is power and the more you know the more you can do. So the immune system is is one of the most complex and least understood systems in our body. It kind of reminds me of the ocean in, in a lot of ways. It's very mysterious. Most of us think of white blood cells when we think of the immune system and white blood cells are a huge part of it, for sure. But our immune system is really a network. It's spread throughout the body, and it involves many types of cells, organs, proteins, and tissues. And 70% of the immune system cells are housed in our intestines. You know, our intestines are the intersection between the inside and the outside world. Our lungs are that way as well. It's these boundary places, right, that protect us from the outside world. Most of us don't really think of the gut as being outside world, but everything that goes into the digestive tract, into your gut, has not entered the body yet, really, because it can come right back out, right? So gut health is crucial crucial for optimal immunity. The immune cells that line up in our intestines are ready to attack anything that's non-self. Tight junctions between the cells of the intestines only allow for nutrients to get through the wall and into the bloodstream. So it's good to sort of imagine the frontline fighters on a war. You know, they're all sort of lined up in the immune system, ready to go, ready to identify what's a pathogen, what's not a pathogen, and try to keep out the stuff that's not supposed to be there. So that's why when we talk about immunity in general, we often talk about taking a good probiotic or beneficial bacteria because that barrier in the gut needs good bacteria to keep it strong and to regenerate and to stay healthy. Additionally, good bacteria in the gut or beneficial bacteria make B vitamins, which we need for every, pretty much every biochemical reaction in our body. And we also need B vitamins to support our adrenal glands or the glands that modulate our stress response, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. And the good bacteria really help to keep the junctions of the intestinal cells very tight so that things that are not supposed to come into the bloodstream stay out. So for the immune system to detect self from non-self then, it needs to be able to recognize proteins on the surface of cells and be able to determine which of these cells are invaders. The immune system learns to ignore its own or self proteins at a really early stage. And when it attacks self proteins, then that would be called autoimmunity. So people with autoimmune disease like lupus or Sjogren's or scleroderma, just to name a few, have a problem identifying self from non-self and the body attacks itself. This boundary between self and non-self is so interesting to me in a lot of ways boundaries in general and how this symbolically affects the immune system. Oftentimes I'll ask my patients who deal with chronic immune dysfunction, you know, what are your boundaries like with people? Do you understand the difference between your story and someone else's story? Are you taking on other people's journey for them? Are you letting things into your body that's not yours? I'm always surprised by how many of my patients that deal with immune systems really struggle with a lot of these concepts. It's just really something to think about. 
So a healthy and balanced immune system then requires that many different elements are working together in concert with each other. It requires impeccable communication between the cells and the organ systems of the body. So the players of the immune system, I like this analogy of like drivers in their cars. The white blood cells, let's just say, are like drivers in their cars on a road using blinkers and reading stop signs. So on a road, you have to be able to rely on proper signs and road maps to be able to communicate with a driver in front of you. You have to be able to see that driver and be able to communicate with them. That's what keeps things on the road harmonious. Communication is only effective if everyone can see what's going on. So using this analogy, toxicity in the body or nutrient and hormone deficiencies or inability to detoxify create a lot of fog between the cells of the immune system all this junk in the extracellular space. And so the immune system cells can't see each other well enough to effectively communicate. And then the immune system is, is really compromised. So then we can say that in order to really prime our immune system, we have to have proper nutrients, proper hydration, and proper elimination or detoxification. It's really that simple. I mean, if you really think about good health, I would say eating the right things, absorbing the right nutrients, getting enough hydration, and elimination, uh, proper elimination is really the key to a healthy immune system. So a few players in our immune system, let's start with the white blood cells. White blood cells are what most, most people are familiar with. So white blood cells are also called leukocytes, and leukocytes circulate throughout the body uh, through our blood vessels as well as through the lymph lymph uh, lymphatic vessels that parallel the veins and the arteries and our white blood cells are on constant surveillance looking for pathogens and when they find a target they begin to multiply and send signals out to other cell types to do the same thing as our white blood cells are so prolific throughout the body they have to be stored in different places um, in order for this communication in the system to take place so these different places in the body where white blood cells are stored are called lymphoid organs, and these include the thymus. The thymus is a gland between the lungs just below the neck. The spleen, which is an organ that filters the blood and it sits in the upper left of the abdomen. Bone marrow, which is found in the center of the bones. It also produces red blood cells. Lymph nodes, so these are small glands positioned throughout the body. Most of us are familiar with the lymph nodes in our neck. They get swollen when we're sick. Um, but they are linked with uh, linked by lymphatic vessels, which are like the highway to the lymph nodes. And then, of course, as we talked about, the intestines. So the intestinal um, in immune system is really called the gut-associated lymphoid tissue, or GALT for short. We've all noticed that the glands in our neck get swollen when our body is fighting something. So this is because when our immune system fi is fighting something off, it increases the number of white blood cells in our lymph nodes. And there are two main categories of white blood cells, phagocytes and lymphocytes. So phagocytes, these are the cells that absorb invaders and basically eat them up. They're the cleanup crew. So neutrophils are the most commonly heard of phagocyte. And they're like Pac-Man in a Pac-Man game, chomping things up and cleaning things up and making room for new fresh cells to come about. Lymphocytes help the body to remember previous invaders. So they're kind of like the body's memory system and they recognize other pathogenic antigens if they come back to attack. And then they kind of remember and know what to do. 
An antigen is a molecule that's capable of stimulating an immune response. So each antigen has distinct surface features resulting in specific responses from the immune system. I like to think of antigens as keys. Every key looks really different. It has different bumps and grooves on it if you feel it. Um, and it's a unique identifier of that pathogen. But our immune system is super, super smart and it learns these specific key patterns and it makes then antibodies to each one. So an antibody is a protein produced by B cells of the immune system, and each antibody is like a lock that fits the key of that specific pathogen. And once the lymphocytes see the antigen, they bind to it with the appropriate antibody, and this neutralizes that pathogen or tags it for the phagocytes or the Pac-Man crew to do its job and clean it up. The biology and the science of the immune system is very, very real. But it's also too important to realize that the immune system exists simultaneously in the body, mind, and spirit. And all of these components are really helpful to look at when we're trying to figure out how to support someone's optimal immunity. We are in a lot of ways directly responsible for how well we respond to pathogens. I mean, some of this may be genetic for some people, but in general, we have a lot more control than we think we do. And knowing this can make us feel really powerful in a powerless world, especially right now. So let's talk about some things that we can do to control the effect of our immunity. So what about hormones? Um, what do hormones have to do with immunity? Hormones such as, and especially imbalance of hormones like stress, estrogen dominance, like endometriosis, thyroid imbalance, how, do, how does stress affect your immunity? So let's just take stress for example. That's something we all experience and probably are all experiencing a lot of right now. During periods of stress, our body responds by producing a lot of cortisol from our adrenal glands. So your adrenal glands are these little glands above your kidneys that produce a lot of the hormones that are necessary for fight or flight or from that running from the bear feeling. In short spurts, they produce cortisol that limits inflammation and that, that can be okay for your immunity to limit the inflammation. But over time, your body can get used to having too much cortisol, which really opens the door for more inflammation. Additionally, stress hormones decrease the body's lymphocytes or white blood cells. So they just absolutely, stress hormones, reduce the power of your immune system in general to function. If you're run and it makes a lot of sense because if you're running from a bear, your body's not going to focus on your immune system, right? All of your body's energy at that point gets shunted to more critical organ systems. High levels of stress can also cause depression and anxiety, which a lot of us are dealing with, unfortunately, right now. And this, by nature of brain chemistry fluctuations, can also increase inflammation and really indirectly cause us to make decisions that are not the healthiest, like emotional eating. When a lot of us are stressed out, we go for the things that are the least healthiest, the most inflammatory, and the most immune suppressive, like sugar and alcohol and refined carbs, right? So from an energetic, energetic standpoint, what stressors in your life can you control? There's a lot of things that are modifiable and a lot of things that are not. We can't control this pandemic. We can't control the coronavirus. But some of us can control our choice not to be in an unhealthy relationship. Um, choosing not to be in an unhealthy job. We can also control who we surround ourselves with and choose to surround ourselves with people who are positive and supportive. And I don't really think that everybody has this luxury. I'm not certainly not naive. So I think it's important, obviously, to be pragmatic here. But I also think that a lot of times we make decisions or indecision out of fear. 
And so it's important when you're kind of surveying your life and thinking about where all these stressors are coming from, can you really, really realistically not quit your job because you don't have any, you really do not have any other options? Or can you not quit your job because you're scared to quit your job? And it's valid to be scared. It's like jumping from one trapeze to another. For one moment, you've got to let go to grab the next one. And that place where you left, let go is very scary and very vulnerable. But making decisions because you're scared to go from one place to another place really may be inhibiting your life. So it's important to think about that. So taking a gut check of where your stress is coming from and really taking action. What are some other aspects in your life you can control that will have a direct effect on your immune system? You know, the universe only says yes, I find. You know, if you say I will never find another job, yes. I will never find a job where I am appreciated. Yes. I'm going to get coronavirus. Yes. What are you telling yourself? And, and does it deserve a yes from the universe? I know it sounds a little woo-woo, but I've got to give you a dose of that today. Other things that we can control that will benefit immunity. Water. So water is, seems so simple and so silly, and people tell you to drink your water, but it is so, so, so important. Um, the best way to clear all that fog between your cells and improve immunity and overall health is drinking enough water. You know, half your weight in ounces of water every day or until your urine is a really light straw color. Lemon or chlorophyll in your water every morning is very helpful to stimulate your liver and your gallbladder and improve that detoxification and also helps to really alkalinize the body. And a lot of viruses don't like an alkaline body. And so it can be very beneficial in general for um, reducing the um, desire for viruses to take over. So what else causes these toxins? You know, I mean, just, just to kind of take a detour of the next topic, I was going to talk more about water, but let's go back to the toxins a little bit. So the stress hormones can absolutely, when, when stress is high and you're not detoxifying very well, the metabolites from that stress that's not able to be eliminated through sweat or deep breathing or bowel movements, that stuff gets built up between cells and creates this quote unquote fog. You know, hormone imbalances for those patients who have uh, estrogen dominance, um, you know, their body is not able to detoxify all of that estrogen. You know, that stuff gets reabsorbed into that extracellular space and becomes fog. You know, when your thyroid is not functioning well, you've got a suboptimal thyroid. You know, your thyroid is part of your metabolism. It runs your metabolism. And for people that have very slow thyroids or hypothyroidism, a lot of those folks can't detoxify very well because their body is like a cold car in a garage and it just sort of sits there and accumulates. So... For optimal immunity to take place, I think it's really important to follow up with your healthcare provider, someone who's going to look at your body as a whole and say, okay, where are all the hormone systems right now? How well is your body able to detoxify? You know, all of these things we are able to determine through specialized lab testing, and we can absolutely improve your ability to detoxify hormones and clean up that communication between your cells. So elimination, what comes in must come out. So starting with a good broad spectrum probiotic, if, you've, if you are somebody who has a hard time detoxifying, which is evident uh, in those people who have a lot of digestive problems, or especially for those people too who can't sweat. If you're the type of person who goes to a sauna and just can't sweat, that is a sign that you're not detoxifying very well. 
So obviously detoxification is a complicated problem, but if we're just thinking about the digestion and thinking about gut-associated lymphoid tissue and how important it is to keep that rolling, starting on a good broad-spectrum probiotic is really, really helpful, especially one that has kind of a broad-spectrum lactobacillus and bifidobacter in it. Make sure that you're getting at least 30 grams of fiber a day, you know, to help sweep out the toxins in your gut. Most of us are not getting enough fiber. I mean, I think that the vegetable recommendation is like 10 servings a day. I mean, I don't think I know a single person who's eating that many vegetables. Well, maybe our nutritionists <laughs> are eating that many vegetables, but I can say that I even fall short there. Some types of fiber are also really necessary actually for that good bacteria to take hold and grow in your intestines. Um, so if you're not able to get enough vegetables, try acacia fiber. Um, Heather's Tummy Care is one that you can get, I think, at PCC, or psyllium fiber in your smoothies. Um, you can also put it in coffee or water daily. What's something else you can do? Well, you can sleep. You know, your body needs at least 8 to 10 hours of sleep a night, and it's true that some people don't really need that much sleep. I would say this whole idea that you have to get 8 hours of sleep a night or you're really in trouble is silly. So I think the idea is that you want to be resting deeply throughout the night. You want to remember your dreams. You want to fall asleep quickly. You want to wake up feeling rested. Um, you don't want to be waking up to little sounds throughout the night. Those are all signs that you're sleeping well. If you're not sleeping well, have you been screened for apnea? Are you waking up in the middle of the night with a dry mouth? Are you waking up gasping for air? Um, are you feeling like you're just really shallow sleeper or is your partner telling you that you are snoring? Um, having a sleep study, making sure that you're sleeping deeply, that is when your body detoxifies is when you're sleeping. That's when your liver empties all the trash. So it's really important that you're sleeping very deeply. A lot of us are having a problem sleeping, especially now because we have so much blue light coming from our computers and our phones. We're on computers and phones all the way up until bedtime. So remember your good sleep hygiene, and that might be another podcast. Remember your good sleep hygiene, turning off these things an hour, two hours before bed, bringing the lights low, making your room cool, not reading anything stimulating. Um, you know, your bedroom should be for sleeping and sex. It should not be for watching TV and playing on your phone. The other really important part of sleeping, I mean, not only the detoxification, which is so important, but your body produces this master hormone called melatonin at night. As the sun comes down and lights start to redu reduce, you know, your pineal gland, which is a tiny little gland in your head, starts to see that nighttime is coming and melatonin is produced. And melatonin is an incredibly underestimated hormone. It's really, really important to your entire body. And it has so many benefits. Among this is to help prevent certain disease. In fact, a lot of cancer patients are administered high doses of melatonin as part of their alternative treatment protocol. And inadequate amounts of sleep or even sleeping with too much light on will present, uh, too much light present will decrease your melatonin production. And that directly lowers your immune response. Exercise. So you'll see that I'm not jumping straight into supplements. Most people who know me, most of my patients who know me, know that I love supplements, but I'm all about trying to get people off of things. So I really wanted to start with the things that you don't, that you don't buy and take. These are all easy things that you can do at home. Exercise. So exercise reduces cortisol. It is so effective in clearing that fog between cells and improving 
and uh, communication because it reduces your cortisol, it detoxifies your system, it helps improve elimination, it increases your white blood cell function, it oxygenates your body, it helps to regulate your breathing. As long as you are physically distancing yourself right now, you are allowed to go out and get exercise and get sunshine. And exercise does not have to mean hitting your home gym and doing some squats and doing some weights, unless you really like it. I mean, it's totally fine to do that stuff, but exercise just means movement and you can just call it movement. I need to get movement every day, 30 minutes of movement every day, preferably some sort of movement that makes you winded, that it's hard for you to have a conversation with someone next to you. That can be dancing. It can be gardening, I guess, really quickly. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how you raise your, your, uh, uh, breathing rate by gardening, but I guess if you are like a freakishly fast gardener, that's possible. Um, it doesn't have to be going to the gym. So think about it as being fun. Yoga. Um, yoga is a fabulous way to exercise and it's so restorative and it's actually one of the hardest things I've done and probably was in my best shape when I was doing yoga. Nutrition. Eat your vegetables. So let's eat our supplements. We don't, I mean, supplements are great, but let's focus on what we can do. I mean, we've got all this time at home. I mean, I think the vegetables and the food sources are getting more and more limited. It kind of depends on where we're shopping. But let's take this time that we have at home. We don't have any choice. We have to stay home to really take the time to take care of our bodies as much as possible. So eat your vegetables, 10 servings a day. I know that seems like a lot, and it is a lot. So if you're not eating any vegetables, try one serving a day. You don't have to go 10, like full in on 10 the first day. Let's just work up slowly. And veggies and fruits should be a rainbow of color. I mean, you literally should look at your plate and you should see every color of the rainbow. I mean, optimally, we're shooting for optimal, right? Um, Two thirds of your plate should be vegetables and fruits. One third of your plate should be proteins and fats. That's really what we're looking for there. All of those different colors of vegetables have different phytonutrients in them that in different ways help to neutralize free radicals or garbage in the body. If you're eating all of these good things, it's also important to reduce or eliminate foods that are very inflammatory and that just cause a lot of toxicity in the body, like sugar, alcohol, refined carbs. I mean, most of us are, a lot of us are headed that direction right now. We're so stressed out. You know, we've got all this stuff going on and most of us are doing some sort of emotional eating on some level. So the most important thing I think really is to be compassionate with yourself. I mean, I think that every day waking up and saying, I can be better today, you don't have to wake up and say, I can be perfect. If you didn't drink any water yesterday, drink one cup today. If you get to the end of the day and you didn't drink one cup of water, don't beat yourself up about it. The next morning, wake up and say, okay, I'm going to try this again. What's another way that I can remember to be healthy today? If you need to do sticky notes, if you need to tie a string around your finger and go old school, whatever you need to do just to be reminded to be mindful. So not only is what you eat important, but also we're seeing a lot lot of evidence that how you eat is beneficial for your body. So intermittent fasting is really interesting. It's something I do for myself and something I recommend to my patients. But intermittent fasting is just finding certain sections of the day where you're eating and certain sections that you're fasting. So for my patients, especially who are postmenopausal, I often recommend the 16-8 protocol for intermittent fasting, where you're eating eight hours a day and you're fasting for 16 hours a day. Um, Patients that are still menstruating or younger men and women or men and women that have um, hormone imbalance, 
Sometimes this severe 16-8 is a little bit hard on the hormones I'm finding slowly as I go along. So a little more of a balance between, um, uh, you know, different, different time spans. You can do, you can research intermittent fasting and see there's a lot of different ways that you can do it. But, um, you know, the idea with intermittent fasting is that you're giving your body this big span of time where it's not having to deal with garbage. It's just able to detoxify and your intestines get sort of a break from all of this inundation of stuff. Um, eating intermittent fasting is also helpful in some ways because um, it allows that time that you're eating for you to be a little more flexible. I'm a big fan of, of balance and I'm not a really big fan of severity and really anything in life. And so using an intermittent fa fasting protocol, if you honestly say to yourself, man, I cannot do the 10 servings, I can't be good all the time. The intermittent fasting allows you to, during those eight hours that you're eating, to have a little bit more flexibility with, with what you're eating and still have the same effect. So now let's talk about supplementation. So supplementation is very helpful for the immune system. I mean, honestly, I would say, I could honestly say that 85% of my patients who come in and establish care with me have got some pretty severe nutrient deficiencies. And if you don't have the nutrients on board to help your body detoxify, to help remind the immune system what it's doing, it's gonna be a problem. So I say supplementation for most of my patients is necessary. There's a lot of different types of supplementation, so we'll talk about herbals first. Um, I like to go for adrenal adaptogens. Adaptogenic herbs, when patients are wanting to support the immune system, is a really good place to start. And adaptogenic herbs really is a big word for just modulating. So these herbs have this magical ability to stimulate or suppress based on what the immune system really needs. So, you know, it's not always appropriate to be stimulating somebody. Not everybody needs that hyperstimulation, and that's what I really like about adaptogenic herbs. Some examples are ginseng, eleutherococcus, ashwagandha. Those are some of my very favorites. I really love licorice. You have to be a little bit careful with licorice. Licorice is one of my favorites, but it can certainly cause blood pressure elevation in patients that have issues with blood pressure. Licorice is really good for those people who have that sort of cold, weak constitution. I don't want to sound judgy. I mean, it's not like bad if you're cold and weak, but those people who are just kind of pale and thin and weak and they stand up and they just get dizzy, I would, I think my acupuncture colleagues right now would be causing the, calling this like low blood chi where they just, I don't know, they're going to laugh at me for saying that, but you know, it's just kind of that constitution. They get up, they get dizzy. dizzy. You know, those people do really well with licorice. Um, it just helps to give them vibrancy and um, energy. Um, but patients that have a really red constitution, hypertension, irritability, those people don't do so well with licorice, I find. Micronutrients. So these are our vitamins. We need lots of vitamins and minerals, but let's talk about vitamins here. So if we're talking about this intersection between inside and outside world, one of the um, uh, connecting factors between lung tissue, which is that boundary, and intestinal tissue is that fatty tissue. And fatty tissue um, needs fat-soluble vitamins. I mean, we need water-soluble vitamins as well, but A, D, E, and K are all very necessary to improve immunity in that fatty tissue. 
So vitamin A, I recommend at about 10,000 to 25,000 actually I use a day. Um, liposomal vitamin C, I love liposomal vitamin C because it really is, uh, loves fat tissue and it doesn't uh, get eliminated as, fa as fast as water-soluble vitamin C. So with fat-soluble vitamin C or liposomal vitamin C, I like to suggest about two to 4,000 milligrams a day, up to 6,000 milligrams a day if you can tolerate it. Vitamin D, uh, 10,000 I use a day. All my patients know vitamin D is my very favorite vitamin. I love it so much. Vitamin D is the biggest deficiency I see, but it is also the one nutrient I can give people that can change the most systems in the body. Vitamin C, vitamin D affects hormones. It affects immunity. It affects emotional health. Um, it is pretty magical. And 10,000 I use a day sounds like a lot of vitamin D because I think most of us are so used to hearing that too much vitamin D is bad for us, which it is. I mean, too much vitamin D, just like too much, any kind of fat soluble vitamin, too much of it can be toxic. But um, vitamin D dosing is in traditional medicine recommended at like 2000, I think I use a day. But that's because in traditional medicine, they don't measure vitamin D very often because it's very often not covered by insurance. And in traditional medicine, there's sort of this rule that if it's not covered by insurance, you really don't want to draw it because you, you know, most people are trying to avoid lawsuits or patients getting upset. But I have to say that when I suggest to patients to get their vitamin D uh, drawn, and I, rec and I also tell them that it might not be covered by their insurance, but this is why it's so important, almost all of them want it drawn. And the problem what I'm finding is since we draw vitamin D so often, uh, with just about all of our patients, is that 2,000 IUs a day, I'm sorry folks, does not cut it. There is not a single one of my patients ever in 12 years of practice on 2,000 IUs a day of vitamin D that has had an appropriate vitamin D level in the blood. For optimal immunity with vitamin D, we want vitamin D between 80 and 90, um, and that is in the blood, and that is also where not only is it beneficial for immunity, but that's also where we can reduce your risk of breast cancer. Um, vitamin D also provides a blueprint for cells to know how to act properly. And if you're talking about the white blood cells and you're talking about the immune system cells, they need to know what they're doing. They need to not over divide, right? They need, need to not divide into things they're not supposed to be. They need to follow their blueprint and that is how they're effective. What about zinc? Zinc is a strong antiviral. Most of us know about zinc and how important it is. Orally, zinc between 25 and 50 milligrams a day great thing to have on board. For some people, it can make them a little nauseous. Listen to your body. If you're taking vitamins and you're feeling sick, your body is saying, no, thank you. You know, we can talk about that later, but I think it's really important to listen to how you feel. Don't just take stuff because you think you should and then feel yucky. Um, that's sort of a bad sign. But zinc is necessary in your mucosa. I mean, if you're talking about how you're being exposed to virus, let's use coronavirus, for example. That's a respiratory virus right? You're going to get it through the nose, through the mouth. So we really need the zinc connecting with those tissues. I really love zinc lozenges for this, and I really love zinc nasal spray for really talking about antiviral properties, especially for respiratory virus. 
NAC. What is N-acetylcysteine? So NAC is also pretty fantastic. It's a precursor to glutathione, and glutathione is one of the biggest antioxidants in our body, one of the most important. Glutathione is pretty gamey, kind of tastes sulfury, it's kind of yucky, it's not too bad, but I mean, it's not one of my patient's favorite supplements to take. It also um, is very difficult to find liposomal glutathione that is actually um, uh, bioavailable. And there's only a few brands um, that are very bioavailable. And, um, and so the NAC, the N-acetylcysteine is a precursor to glutathione. It's a lot less expensive. It's a capsule rather than a gel. And um, you can really jack up the dose and do it uh, for less money. Um, so N-acetylcysteine, about 2,400 milligrams a day, not only is it good for your immune system improving detoxification, but NAC is also very mucolytic. So it really dissolves mucus. It's great for those patients, those people who have a lot of gunk in their lungs or in their sinuses or in their nose. It really just helps to thin all of those secretions out, which makes it a lot easier to cough that stuff up. Now we're gonna talk about essential oils. So essential oils have proven to be really, really antiviral and antibacterial, and they're really not used enough, I don't think. And I'm not an essential oil master. I mean, I, I use them myself, I suggest them to my patients, but for more deeper understanding of essential oils, I'm probably not your person, but let me tell you what I know about them. So the best way to really use essential oils is in a diffuser. Um, you can buy essential oil diffusers, or you can just straight up put it in a basin of very hot water. Your sink is a perfect place for that. Water that's steaming, and put your head over the bowl, put a few, towel, uh, a few drops of essential oil in the water, put a towel over your head, and inhale that a few times a day. So that's called tinting, where you just kind of bend over the bowl, put a towel over it, trap all that heat in there, and just breathe it in and out that allows all of that contact with your lungs. Some of my favorites, so cinnamon. Cinnamon has been shown to fight multiple virus strains. In a recent study, um, researchers found that cinnamon is really effective against flu virus, especially when combined with eucalyptus and rosemary. Oregano, so oregano, most people grab an oral oregano supplement at the first sign of digestive problems or flu, and that's for a good reason. Oregano exhibits really strong antiviral activity against a variety of viruses. Um, but it's also really fabulous in an oil uh, diffusing or inhaling. Star anise, so star anise is kind of an interesting antiviral, um, uh, you know, it, it's really licorice-like, so it kind of smells licorice-y, it has that kind of licorice aromatic. It's not suitable necessarily for internal use. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but from what I know, it's not. It's really best diluted in um, a diffuser in hot water, or you can put it in fractionated coconut oil or some sort of carrier and apply it to the skin, you know, for viral or even bacterial skin infections. Star anise contains this really potent antiviral substance called shikimic acid. That's what the pharmaceutical industry uses to synthesize flu drugs. Thyme, so thyme essential oil, especially in conjunction with tea tree and eucalyptus, has been shown to reduce viral infectivity by more than 96%. And on its own, thyme is really a powerful anti-infectious agent. It's been found in really a whole lot of studies to kill harmful bacteria and fungus in addition to virus. 
And then finally, it's peppermint. So peppermint is one of my favorites. I have it in my car right now to detour mice. <laughs> so who knew that cars had issues with mice, but peppermint oil is fabulous for that. But if we're talking antiviral remedies, it's really great. It's also peppermint specifically really good against the herpes virus, uh, which is you know at the root of a lot of cold sores. Peppermint essential oil has demonstrated a, a really high potency in lab tests against um, herpes virus strains that don't respond well to acyclovir or some of those antivirals. So that's just kind of interesting. So that was a lot to cover today. Um, stay tuned for our next episode, uh, which will be on hormone balancing. Be well, stay happy, stay thankful for every new day you're blessed to be a part of, and I will see you next time.